G'day, podcast listeners, and to those of you listening through the website. Uh, before we get into it, just wanted to let you know, we've had a couple of audio issues when we recorded this talk. Uh, we've tried to clean it up, but it will still sound a little bit off at points. We apologise for that, uh, but we still wanted to get it out there for you to listen to. So here it is, and we're about to start reading from Psalm 6. Psalm 6, for the director of music with stringed instruments, according to Sheminith, a psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am, in fa- I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. All right, here we go. Hey, friends. Um, Well done on making it out this morning. It's cold and wet and you had an hour less of sleep last night, but you're here. Well done. Um, When I was a teenager, I was playing cricket in a team made up of men, mostly who were in their 30s and 40s. And one Saturday we were playing a game. It was in a town about an hour's drive away, so they decided to hire a minibus out and we all travelled down together. Uh, and we're on our way and the radio is on and a song comes on. You probably know it. Um, it's a song called Everybody Hurts by a band whose name is R.E.M. Uh, you probably know. I'll play a bit for it now, though, in case you don't. When your day is know the song don't you you've heard it before it's it's a sad song uh when your day is long and the night is yours alone when you feel like you've had enough uh it's a sad song and how we're on the bus the song comes on and one of the guys on the bus makes a pretty tasteless comment he says here's a song to slit your wrists to i think it was meant as a joke but it was pretty tasteless pretty insensitive suicide is not something to be trivial about But it made me think, why did he say that? Maybe he thought it was funny. Maybe he didn't really like the song. Uh, I I don't really know. But I wonder if there's a a part of me that wonders if he said this, because often when those uh, big emotions come, when we're around deep 
uh, sadness, we just don't know what to do often. Uh, As a society, as individuals, we don't tend to dwell on topics of sadness very much. We tend to want to just move on from it. So often when we're surrounded by it, we don't know what to do. Uh, Here's how one American professor put it. He said, We live in a superficial, media-driven culture that often seems uncomfortable with true depths of feeling. Indeed, it seems as if our culture has become increasingly intolerant of that acute sorrow, that intense mental anguish and deep remorse, which may be defined as grief. We want to medicate such sorrow away. We want to divide it into recognisable stages so that grief can be labelled, tamed and put behind us. And see what he's saying there. As a society, we, we don't dwell on these deep feelings of anguish. And yet our experience tells us that we all go through it. This is part of living. If you haven't yet, you will at some point in the future. And so the professor goes on and he says, but poets have always celebrated grief as one of the deepest human emotions. That's what was happening in in the song, in Everybody Hurts. Perhaps it wasn't a celebration of grief, but it certainly explored grief as a topic. And the psalm that Emmy just read out for us, it it does that too. It explores a time of of sharp, uh, intense sadness. This year during school holidays, we're digging into a part of the Bible called Psalms. It's, it's, it's like a songbook of the Bible, all the collected hits from ancient Israel. Today we hit Psalm 6. It's a psalm of deep anguish and grief. What do we do with a psalm like this? Especially, what do we do with it if we're feeling okay today? Maybe it's maybe it's, it's it's you can see what to do with it if you're if you're feeling low like the psalmist. But what if we're feeling okay? Do we just joke? Do we do we try and quickly move on? Do we have to find a place of sadness right now so we can understand it? That's what we're going to explore today. What are we going to do with Psalm six? Psalm six is a psalm written by David. He was a king in ancient Israel, and at the start of the psalm we hear him crying out to God. He's crying out to God. Look again at how the psalm starts. Let me show you verse 1. He says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, Lord. My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? David's in distress. That's pretty clear, right? Why is it? What's happening in his life that brings it on? You know, we're actually not told precisely what's going on for David here, but we do get some hints from the psalm itself. So, like if, if you look at verse 1 again, it, it seems like David thinks that his experience is uh, one of God's rebuke. God is rebuking him. These griefs are filling up his life because God is using a hard situation to, to discipline and grow him. But also, further down in Psalms, in verse 7 and verse 10, we see that enemies are involved in some way too. That some kind of enemies of David are bringing grief on his life. 
We're not told what they're doing. They're just part of David's pain. And it's as if in the actions of these enemies, David sees that God is doing something. That as they bring some kind of pain and sorrow into David's life, God is actually using that to discipline and rebuke David. That's about as much as we can know. There's no specifics here, but clearly one thing is, one thing is clear. Whatever, whatever's happening, it has affected David deeply. So he cries out to God. And he asks God, put a stop to this, God. End it now, please. He asks God to show him mercy in verse 2. Or verse 4, he asks God for God's deliverance, that God would save him from his grief. In verse 5, he pleads that what he's going through right now wouldn't lead to death. It's so intense that David feels like he is just being overwhelmed by this sorrow. So you see in verse 3, he says, How long? Lord, how long will this go on? This is not just David having an off day. This is something bigger. This is, is more intense. It's deep-seated. It's, there's pain, anguish and grief. This is, and this is, this is one of those times for David where he is so low that he cannot see the way ahead in life. And so he cries out, how long, Lord? How long? I want to explore that more in a moment. But before we go on, I just want to make this one point so far. Um, what, what does David do? What do we see David doing here? It's only one thing, really. That's that he prays. He speaks. He cries out to God. It might seem like the obvious thing to do. After all, we're at church, talking about prayers. That's not unexpected, is it? And of course, when we're in the midst of deep sadness, though, praying doesn't always come easy, does it? It's easy to think things like, I don't want to talk to God right now. I feel too angry about this pain. I can't pray now. I'm just so exhausted from everything that's going on. Or maybe even I guess I could pray, but if I tried to pray, I don't have the words that I want to use right now to express to God how I'm feeling. Deep down we know that none of those really ought to stop us from praying. I mean, sure, we don't want to go through the pain, but God is the one who can bring relief, which is why David prays to him. And we might be running low on energy, and grief takes its toll on us, it does. And those times we need to remember it. Long and eloquent prayers are not needed. God hears a 10-second prayer just as well as he hears a 10-minute prayer. And there are times when we just won't have those words to say. That's one of the beauties of having Psalm 6 here. When we don't have the words to say, we can open up a psalm like Psalm 6 and just use that to, 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 to pray. Let, let Psalm 6 be your prayer. When things go wrong and we, when we are experiencing those moments of intense, deep pain, of grief that just won't seem to go, Psalm 6 is reminding us to keep praying. God hears, even in the midst of 
of, of the deepest lows. God hears. So I want to encourage us, friends, let's, let's, let's be those who never forsake this privilege of praying. Okay, back to David now. He's not just having a rough day. This is intense, profound longing, grief, sadness. And, and in fact, David's anguish, it's deep and it's cutting. Um, when I was in high school, I played rugby. And I remember playing one particular game. I was on the ground. Um, there's a tackle and people were clearing out of there. And someone stepped on me about here. And my collarbone just went and broke. It, like, it hurt. It badly hurt. That's the most intense pain I've been in physically ever in my life. And even thinking about it now kind of makes me feel queasy. But for me, that was just one thing going wrong, right? Physically, I was hurting, and that was bad enough. But for David here, he, he says it feels like I'm being hit on every front. So look at, at, at the screen again, verse 2. He says, physically, I feel like my bones are in agony. Verse 3, emotionally, he says he's... His soul is in anguish. And spiritually, he's at a loss for what to do. As well, that's why he's crying out to God. And verses 6 and 7, they show us just how bad it's gotten. Verse 6, I'm, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my fault. He just sounds exhausted from it all, doesn't he? Spent. He got nothing else. Places that are supposed to bring comfort, like uh, the bed and the couch, they don't. They've become places now where he just mourns. He's getting weaker and weaker all the time, unable to face what's ahead. David here is in deep anguish. It's it's cutting deep and it's taking over his whole life. Have you ever gone through something like this in life? Maybe, maybe you're going through it now. If not yet, don't worry, it will come. Maybe through sickness, a breakdown of relationships, legal disputes, something else entirely. I remember visiting someone in hospital um, I haven't. I don't think I've particularly felt this this kind of deep, deep, deep grief yet in life. But I remember visiting someone in hospital who had this person. Uh, their mental health had taken a hit, and, and and she needed some help. And so very wisely, she went to hospital. And I visited her one afternoon, and we were talking about it. And 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 I got a sense of just the, the kind of grief that she was going through. And I asked her at one point. Tell me, how's your faith? How's your walk with God going as you go through all of this? Now, again, let me reiterate. At this point, she knew her struggles were not a short-term thing. They hadn't been a short-term thing, and it was going to be ongoing in life. She explained to me how tough it had been. She felt like how she was at the bottom. She wished she didn't have to be there. Make no mistake, this is a deep, dark time for her. I asked her the question, how's your faith going? She told me, I'm paraphrasing here, she told me, my faith is really good. God is the one thing that hasn't changed through all of this. I know I need him to hang on to. 
my reaction was, wow, there is a woman of faith. You know, it might sound like a simplistic response, something that you just say as a throwaway answer uh, about the topic of suffering. But it wasn't simplistic for her. Here she was in the midst of deep, intense sorrow, and yet she could say that. It was simple, a simple statement of faith, but it was not simplistic. Of course, you might ask, why does this kind of thing happen to, 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 to my friend who was following Jesus, someone of, of, of faith? Why does it happen to David here, someone who was after God's own heart? You know, this psalm, it doesn't really explore the why for us. It doesn't really explore why this kind of stuff happens. Other parts of the Bible would take you there, but in Psalm 6 we see a man wrestling with his pain. And Psalm 6 shows us it's okay to grieve these times of pain. It's okay to cry out to God in these times of pain, to wrestle with God through it. And it shows us that going through these times, it doesn't mean we ought to give up on God. It's not a sign that God has abandoned you. And, and like my friend in hospital, that's what David recognised too. Uh, in the final verses of these psalms, they tell us something really important. I think it's probably the key thing for us to, to take away from the psalm today. Here it is. What they tell us, it says that these times of deep anguish, they do not have the final say over your life. They don't have the final say over our lives. So look at how confident David is. He's, he's still grieving, but look how confident he is in verse 8. He says, Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David is confident that his prayers have been heard. God hasn't abandoned him. God has heard and accepted him, even despite the grief that he's going through. And so David is confident that God will deliver him. Look at verse 10. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Notice there, David hasn't yet experienced God's deliverance. His situation hasn't changed. He is still in a moment of intense grief. But he is confident that God will act. He's confident that his current anguish, what he's walking through now, will not have the final word over his life. You ask, where does his confidence come from? I think for, it, 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 looking back shapes the way he looks forward. They was able to look back. Remember, we're in a book called the Psalms here, and there's lots of Psalms. We're at Psalm 6. The first two Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, though, they really set the agenda for how we read the rest of the Psalms, how we understand the rest of the book. They determine how we're supposed to, 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 to figure out what's, to, to understand what's coming next in the rest of the Psalms. And do you remember, there's a great promise in Psalm 2. We looked at it earlier in the year. God is speaking to the king of Israel, to, 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 to David. And look what he says. God says, I'll be a father to you. Just, just ask. I'll give you the nations so that they're yours. He 
here is a promise for David to look back on as the king. He is the one on whom God on whom God's favor rests. God is a father to him. God provides for him. And that changes the way then that David can look forward. At the moment, for David, his life is, is swallowed up in all sorts of pain, but he knows that that is not his future and he knows that that does not have to overwhelm him. So he can say in verse 6, my enemies will be overwhelmed. They will turn back. This anguish will not last because God will not let it last. I watched a movie a little while ago uh, called Jungle. It had Daniel Radcliffe in it, you know, the guy from Harry Potter. It doesn't look much like Harry Potter there, but there he is. It's based on a true story about a guy who treks through the Amazon jungle with a friend. And at one point, they're on like a little boat going down the river and they hit some rapids and they kind of get separated. And when Daniel Radcliffe, when he finally makes it to shore, he's, he's lost his friend. He can't find him. They've become separated and now, um, so most of the movie then he follows, follows Daniel Radcliffe as he tries to make his way back to civilization. He thinks he knows the way to go, but he's alone now. And as the movie goes on, things get worse and worse for him, as you can imagine. He, he has to ration his food, but eventually it runs out. One night, he's trying to get some sleep, but he, know, he figures out he's being stalked at that time by a jaguar, and he has to try and figure out what to do with this big cat that's after him. Another night while he's sleeping, hundreds, thousands of ants come into where he's sleeping and and just start biting and attacking him. His feet, he can never get his feet dry, so his feet become diseased and it's hard to walk. He begins hallucinating and seeing things that aren't aren't there. And he realises, at one point, he realises for days and days he's just been walking in a big circle and so he's actually getting nowhere, making no progress back to where he ought to be. Things are bleak. But... You know what happens, right? He gets rescued. The friend he was with, the friend he got separated from, he actually made it back to, to safety, back to civilization. And so he gets someone to, to, to drive a boat. He, he, he sits in the boat with someone as they drive back up the river looking for Daniel Radcliffe. They find him and he gets rescued in a happy ending. Um, that's not a spoiler. You knew that was going to happen, didn't you? Um, but think about that time there when, when, Daniel, when Daniel Radcliffe, when he finally steps into the boat with his friend. At that moment, nothing has really changed for him, right? He's still hungry. His feet are still diseased. He has had no medical attention. There's every chance a jaguar can jump out of the trees and jump into their boat still. And yet, nothing has changed and yet... Now he is confident that this jungle won't be the end of him. Why? Why is he confident? Because he knows at this point how it's going to end. He knows that these past months in the jungle won't have the final say over him. He can, he can look back on the character of his friend and know that his friend's going to take him to somewhere good in the future, to civilization where he'll be looked after. That's David here in this psalm. He's enduring the anguish. He's in a point where he still can't help but cry out to God because of his pain. Put an end to it, God, please. And yet at the same point, he is confident because he knows he's in the boat, so to speak. Now he's just waiting for God 
to bring things back to civilization. He's just waiting for a God for God to put an end to his anguish. David knows as bad as it's been, as bad as it still is in the moment, these times of deep anguish don't have the final say over our lives. So, what about us then? I've got four things I just want to say here to, to wrap up today. Firstly, we are not immune. Uh, if you follow Jesus, just because you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that these kind of times won't happen, these moments of deep anguish, of, sa- of sadness, of sorrow. Jesus does promise us a great future, uh, one with no more tears, no more mourning, no more grief or pain. But he says that doesn't come until the new creation. In this life, Jesus does not promise us a life free from pain. These griefs can come on any one of us, just as they can on anyone who doesn't follow Jesus. So if you have to go through these times, or even if you are right now going through these times, it's not because God has lost control. We might not know what he's doing, but he hasn't lost control. We need to remember that he didn't promise us a life without pain, and in the midst of the pain, he's still there with us. And so can I also say, if you are going through this in the future, or even if you're going through it now, if you do need help, if you do need professional help from a doctor or a counsellor or someone like that, please get it. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of your lack of faith in the Lord God. God has given us wisdom to be able to go to people like that when we need to. We're not immune from this pain. Secondly, Jesus is the one who truly knows grief. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Simon was here, and Simon was t- talking to us from the book of Esther. And remember that little um, diagram he said? He said, we can't just draw a straight line from the Old Testament. And Simon has taken us through Esther. You can't just draw a straight line from Esther to us to figure out what we do with this. And it's the same with David. We can't just draw a line from David to us, and that, that's all well and done. We need to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. And after all, as followers of Jesus, we are convinced that Jesus is the one who fulfills the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about him, not about me. And so ultimately then, Psalm 6 is a psalm, not about me, but about Jesus. So as David describes his time of deep, dark pain, it sheds light for us. On Jesus, that Jesus is the one who knew deep grief like this. As I was reading Psalm 6 this week, I couldn't help but think of Jesus in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he goes to the cross, he knows what is to come. He knows the agony that lies ahead of him. So he weeps and he cries out to God. He says, God, spare me. Jesus is the one who knows deep grief. In those times then when we feel the deep grief in our own lives, again, let me remind you, don't be afraid to go to Jesus. He knows what it's like. He has been there. You can pour your heart out to him. So they want to say, talk about the way that we look back and look forward. Just like David, that's what we need to do. We, we look back and that changes the way we look forward. 
But, but we look back onto something different than David. We don't look back onto the, the promise of Psalm 2 for us. We look back to Jesus. We look back to the cross where God, where God has made his decisive action known to us, that he will put an end to evil, that he has already started to put an end to evil in this world. We look back to the cross knowing that it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can be certain of the future that God has promised us. We look back to the cross and when we do, we're forced to look forward to the new creation that Jesus brings. And so we can know that those times of grief and anguish will not have the final say on our lives. God has something better in store for you. A world where those griefs and sorrows will be no more. That's not just wishful thinking. That is something to look forward to, friends. And finally, I want to say then, this is a better way. This is a better way. Remember the song I played at the start, Everybody Hurts? Um, It's a sad song, a time of grief and sorrow that just doesn't seem to go away. And the song says, I think rightly so, the song says this is something that we all go through. It says everybody hurts. Everybody. And so what do we do in these times of hurt then? And here's the answer that they give in the song. They say, hold on. Hold on. Time and time again, that's the line that's repeated. Hold on. Don't let go, but hold on. Which really is all you can say. Hold on. Hold on and hope that things get better. That really is all you can say. Unless you know Jesus. You see, with Jesus it changes. And now it's not hold on anymore. It changes to you're being held on to. Your God is holding on to you. Look back and see what he's done in the past. Look forward and see the better future he has in store for you. And so know that your God is holding on to you. Which means that you can hold on to him too. This current pain will not have the final say in your life. Because your God is holding on to you.